0: For March 29th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 665. Are we talking about Hamlet or Axel Foley? Hey, it's Overthinking It with your old pals Matt and Pete. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt, (laughs) that's that's us. We're your smart, funny friends from the Internet here to subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Hey, Pete, you know how we generate material these days? How is that? Well, you know, I for a long time, I've enjoyed probably the scrolling through the thumbnail, images, advertising, merchandising different programs on a streaming service uh, more than I've enjoyed watching any of the programs. And recently we've taken to doing that with HBO Max because actually some of those movies in that back catalog are pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah, to-
1: which is not what you come to expect from Netflix.
0: <laughs> well, as all the, you know, as all the studios realize they want to sort of skate to where the puck was five or six years ago um, they're starting streaming services and they're uh, you know taking their catalogs back from they're taking it back baby uh, taking their catalogs back from from Netflix and so like for example how many more uh, you know how many more seasons of those those defenders uh, Netflix series do you think we're gonna see now that now that Disney plus is, is on the scene. I think probably
1: zero, right? Uh, and, well, I mean, yeah. that's a whole situation where when Disney pulled the shows, they had, I believe, a contract saying that they wouldn't make anything with those characters for X number of years. Mm. And I think that that time is coming up on elapsing. So we'll see what happens to them. It should be interesting. Mm. But yes, I don't think you'll see it on Netflix. That
0: the, time, the time is nearly upon us. And it turns yeah. out that Warner has a bunch of great movies. <laughs> turns yeah. out Warner Brothers was a legit studio back well, in the day. Who'd who have thought – <laughs> No one uh, before they became as uh, Christopher Nolan called them the worst tr- streaming service. Uh they used to be the best the best movie studio. Uh worse worse than Peloton, worse than the car and driver uh you know motor, trend. Motor, motor tread trend app.
1: Which is not that bad, but I mean, come on, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Worse there's than, a merger there that needs to happen but get on discovery plus people. worse come on w-
0: worse than udemy where the first course <laughs> costs ten dollars and the
1: second course costs three <laughs> thousand dollars the first taste is free the rest all cost you oh man you said you want to learn how to cook spanish food yeah how bad do you want to learn how to cook spanish food <laughs> Sorry, they're getting, but.
0: they're getting, they're, they're getting me hooked on, on that first taste of a, of, you know, and they, they like take is it one program or one lecture and chop it up into little pieces so that they can sell it to you in in three parts. And so I definitely have like, uh, seen some like Pima Chodron, uh, you know, Dharma talks that are like, and here's what the Buddha would say. And then it cuts. <laughs> and It's like buy part two to see what the Buddha would say. <laughs> you know? The wisdom, the ancient wisdom of the Buddha, 49 dollars. <laughs> it's it's uh, you know I'm not I'm not the first to uh, observe that a lot of self help is Buddhism with a service mark, but uh, let's uh, you know, but let's uh, let's scroll through the thumbnails here on hbo matt oh i'm done pete i'm here it is beverly how
1: far in alphabetical order did you get <laughs> i got
0: i got through the a's uh okay. well, actually the 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 first as a, as i went to action movies this this is true actually yeah. uh as i went to action movies and i'm we shouldn't like do di- ghost ship it that long because people presumably read the description on the podcast and yes, they, they downloaded it but um the first film in uh but alphabetical order starts with a numeral on HBO Max can you guess what the first and i was in the action movies section can you guess what the first action movie in HBO Max was it begins with a numeral
1: uh is it is it 127 hours it is not
0: the numeral is not 1
1: <laughs> Oh, it isn't. Okay, okay. Is it twenty-eight days later? Uh no, uh lower than twenty-eight. Okay, okay. Is higher it, than one. Is it twelve monkeys? No, lower than twelve. Okay, okay, okay. Is it is it uh seven?
0: Oh, nope, good good guess, but they actually spell seven out, so it's filed under S. Is
1: it is it eight?
0: <laughs> no. Eight is higher than seven and it's lower than seven. So it's
1: it's lower than
0: seven. Yes. And higher than one. And higher than one. Uh, three musketeers. Oh, good. Very excellent guess, but it's actually lower than three.
1: Okay. Is it too fast, too furious? It is too
0: fast, too (laughs) furious. (laughs) That's what it, that's what it is. It's a great game. Uh, that's a great game of 20 questions, but no, Pete, I scrolled past the twos, past the threes, Mm -hmm. past the fours. Yep. I'm going all the way up to, uh, 1776 (laughs) past the fives. Yeah, past yeah, the yeah. sixes, yeah, yeah, past yeah. the As, and to the Bs, where I saw the Beverly Hills Cop trilogy Woo. available on HBO Max, and uh, I clicked on the first one. Checked with you, uh, and your response was, "Do you sure. I love yeah. that movie." Is yeah. what you said. And so let's talk about let's talk about Beverly Hills cop, which is a story. Spoiler
1: for every fish out of water cop movie you've ever seen, because they all copy this one. Sorry, go ahead. It's a story
0: about the Prince of Zamunda (laughs) coming from a third world country. Right. (laughs) To... Um no actually it goes goes in reverse in coming to America because uh Zamunda looks pretty good you know at least the uh, royal palace is you know very developed and has all the the modern conveniences and then they go to Queens and Queens looks like uh looks like a bombed out you know shell of its uh former self looks like uh the uh war zone looks like something out of the warriors i guess um all right, all right. And uh at the very beginning, Detroit cop, Axel Foley, uh, we see it, him in Detroit. but before we even see him, there are all of these establishing shots of Detroit. I figured this would be an okay place uh, to start. I mean, yes. let's start at the very beginning.
1: It's a very fine place to start. Uh, what were what was your reaction to this? Because I was kind of taken aback. It's fascinating. It's great. I I love that I love it because it's such a wonderful time capsule. So yeah. for those of you who are unfamiliar, Beverly Hills Cop is a well, it's a cop movie starting sorry, Eddie Murphy that came out in 1984. Right? So this is you know an early-ish 80s movie. Um and so the establishing shots, it's more than establishing shots, it's it's a full-on kind of B unit montage of of touring various streets in Detroit and just showing you people on the street, just to give you a sense of what's going on. To the inimitable sounds of Glenn Frey's the heat is on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and it is a real time capsule of what Detroit looked like in the early 80s. And in that degree, it's fascinating because it's kind of hard to run into that sort of thing anywhere else. It's not like I'm going to turn on, you know, Blackfish and it's going to be like, hey, well, that, that I think that, you know, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> that seems like an uncomfortable one to pick. Right. But there you go. Right. Like are, what are I guess there are more and more documentaries about because it is this is a movie that is highly concerned with race you're in a, a lot of ways. You're you're and you're
0: so, a, you're a loose cannon telecom.
1: I know I know but what I mean like like um if you're looking at any of the prestige films are you really going to see shot from the street documentary footage of what this was like in the 80s and if you look at a documentary are you really going to see this sort of like almost it's almost dispassionate right from from the side of a car you know glance at what the street looks like if you're just kind of walking down it from the perspective of of this movie right um and or or like also if you're going to watch something on like being vegetarian, you're not going to learn anything about Beverly Hills Cop, so why bother? Uh, but um, but yeah, it's, it's, I thought it was fascinating. And I thought this, this was a rediscovery of Beverly Hills Cop for me because what I remembered it as was not what it was, and which seems to be the case for a lot of these movies that we catch up with on HBO Max. Mm. Um, and so one of the first elements of that is – Locating Detroit not in this Robocop esque nominal space of this abstract extension to the absurd of notions of urban trouble, but like as a real place that has real people that live there, right? Which is not how Detroit is often portrayed in movies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as 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 a sort of as a as the most real place uh, because <laughs> in, uh, because we've actually gone there and filmed it, right? as opposed to like filmed a bunch of warehouses in East LA or long beach or wherever it is that they filmed the Detroit's that you see in other places. Sure. So, uh, Sound but, yeah, stages. It's, yeah, um, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so I don't know. I thought it was cool and I thought that it was interesting and I thought it, uh, it, it set up some, some interesting challenges. I mean the one that really stuck out to me not to jump too specific too fast well, Beverly Hills Cop is a lot more considered with gay people than you would think, which is weird, right? Did that did that jump out at you as well? So, sort sort like
0: of. You? I mean, I think that like, well, it, yeah, it's it. <sighs> Gosh, that's interesting. That's diving right into the middle of the pool. Should I, Should we do it? Should we go? Should we go well, right in?
1: Uh, what I will say, if we don't want to jump right in, I will say that the montage of the streets of Detroit includes a a fairly lingering shot of the outside of a gay bar in nineteen eighty four, uh-huh. right, which is not the kind of thing that you would generally see on television at the time. I can tell you that, right, even though I, I don't have really have memories from that far back, but I can tell you, having been alive and had memories from the eighties. They weren't just showing you real gay bars in, like, you know, working class neighborhoods, right? Uh, back in the day. It wasn't a thing that people talked about. There was a wasn't lot it? of chase that happened. That's
0: funny, Peter. I did not I didn't pick up on that. I guess I was kind of I was taking in the milieu, like the the painted cinder blocks and the like, you know, general air of kind of broken downness. I was probably like looking around the screen more than I was looking at, at the sign on the the door, but was it called like the manhole or something like it that? It
1: was called Gaiety Bar.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go.
1: Yeah, and it was sort of and it's it was very much like we're not allowed to say this is a gay bar right like when we were in college the only gay bar in town was called partners right and it had no windows right the windows were all opaque and it was a concrete cinder block right now granted things had moved along you know in society as it were by then uh but that place had been around for a long time right and so the old gay bars in a lot of towns are built like fortresses right and in this one it was it was interesting because it was it looked like an old-fashioned bar and there was just a dude strutting outside of it in you know in in some form of queer wear right uh and and it was just like i imagine that at the time it, yeah we like might,
0: sorry i pulled up a i pulled up a screenshot online um it's funny i didn't make that i i didn't make that connection which shows that my my mind is less finely attuned to subtext than than yours is but the uh the gentleman in question is is wearing like a natty little hat and red leather pants so right you know take, i mean
1: that's that's what it looks like, right, yeah. like
0: I also noticed that like there's uh you know there's a bouncer sitting there, so like it's clear that that even during the day this place needs to be defended a little bit like or overseen, like okay, yeah, but then I was you know I was also looking at yeah it's like painted cinder blocks and like bars bars on the windows and kind of old looking brick, and there's like a broke down wall air conditioner poking out of the next door building, and the windows of the shop on the corner are boarded up and 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 stuff like that. Like it is fortress. Like it looks like a, a, you know, bombed out Rust Belt city, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah, I suppose so. I think it looks like that. It looks grimy. Um, And, and I think that it's, it's tricky because I don't think it's just about it being rough because there's also, you know, front stoops with whole families sitting on them. Right. And like just people walking around on the street. Um, But there's the, there's the one shot of the sort of old dilapidated, white man. Yep. Right. And like and, and but it's an overwhelmingly black city and it's its relationship with Beverly Hills. I guess I guess that's the angle that we're we're cutting into here. Right. right? Exactly. Which is that Beverly Hills cop is the the premise is brilliant. Right. It's a Detroit cop has to go to, you know, the fanciest place in California to search for clues for his friend's murder. Right. And when he's there, you know, he runs into other cops. And, of course, they do things differently than he does. And that's that's the surface level story when, and what you would expect the movie to be about. You would expect him to be like, I'm a tough cop. I don't listen to your namby pamby nonsense. Right. Or like, you know, I'm, I, I know the street and you don't. That's not what it is at all. It's, it's actually much more clever than that. But that's the sort of uh, premise that it hands you. Um, and then the, that what it elaborates on. And so I guess the question is, all right. So if it isn't, you know, Detroit is the rough place. And Beverly Hills is the schmancy place, Mm. which I don't think it quite is. What is the difference between Detroit in this movie and Beverly Hills in this movie? Yeah. And and the establishment of Detroit and the amount of time you spend in Detroit at the middle of the movie, which is also more than you might have expected, gives you a whole sense. There's multiple characters who each have the Paul Reiser is in this movie for 15 seconds. Right. Um, You know, at the time meant something. Uh, well, maybe it meant something 10 years later, but at the time, maybe it didn't mean much. Um, for those of you scoring at home, Paul Reiser is, of course, the corporate representative from Alien from the from the Alien franchise. Right. Right. Uh, but also, you know, Mr. Mad about you and all that stuff. But, yeah, like the the sense I think that I carried from it is that it's lived in and there's people there and it's disordered. Right. Um, in that in that there were different pockets that there there are different pockets where people live and the people in their pockets seem to be somewhat different from what you expect because you're presumably coming to this movie with that hegemonic, you know, white dominated 80s notion of what America is like, because you've because you're seeing this movie alongside other movies. And there are not a lot of movies at this point that are being fronted by black American stars. It's just not a thing that's happening a lot. No, certainly. Uh, I
0: mean, certainly not one who could command four million dollars for the which is what he got for the the film, at least according to Wikipedia, which is, you know, an astronomical amount of of money even today. But like uh, for for the time, you know,
1: and this was the number one movie of the year. This was the this was the Avengers Endgame of 1984 which is not a light you know this is not a light year for movies uh like what are the top 1984 movies Oh that's interesting uh, other than 1984 it's uh the top 10 movies like um uh, Ghostbusters The Terminator huh. the aforementioned Karate Kid right Gremlins right Conan 2 Police Academy right A lot of movies that stuck with us for a long time and had really long runs of sequels and are known for being, you know, starting out pretty financially successful franchises. Beverly Hills Cop was the big movie. Yeah. Right. Oh, Um, out, yeah.
0: Edged out Ghostbusters and killed the next and then down to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with like 50 million uh, less in terms of box office. That's uh, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was a huge cultural phenomenon. The
0: Karate Kid.
1: The the yeah the instrumental background music from this movie was like a number one hit in like twelve countries, right? Like that that is the extent to which this movie was a phenomenon. Um, but I think that that's just important because it's not just a standard concept fish out of water cop movie. It's it's something more, and and I think that the the juxtaposition between Detroit and Beverly Hills is where it starts, um, and and framing Detroit not as just a place of poverty and crime and violence and toughness but also a place that has a people who live there that you don't know right and you watching this movie probably don't know these people and maybe that's the most important thing about axel foley as Hmm. the protagonist of this movie Hmm. is that to everyone he meets he's a cipher well he's not a cipher. they don't think he's a cipher everybody who meets axel foley thinks they know who he is right and they're all wrong Right. Right. He's like, that, he's like
0: yeah. Hamlet in that uh, respect.
1: <laughs> Elaborate on that. But, that on that's what
0: uh, the, that's sort of what everyone, everyone sort of thinks about Hamlet, right? Like his, his uh, stepfather thinks of, thinks of him one way and then thinks of him as a sort of rival. Like he's always sort of sli He's slippery. He's subtle. He's more, uh, he's more kind of ironic than people realize, you know, and Are he's we talking about
1: Hamlet or
0: <laughs> <actually>? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and he, he always has a, he, he, and he's a lot more kind of humane, uh, than, than people realize. He's a lot more, um, sort of introspective than, than people realize. He's, uh, you know, he, like, um, it's, it's one of those things where, where he is a master of kind of identifying the game, uh, and then kind of shifting the game such that people don't, understand that the game has been has been shifted on them uh a little bit and he does it you know he does this in in a lot of ways which you know which we can get into um but
1: now you're talking about axel foley
0: axel foley yeah or or hamlet i mean we can get into the ways that he uh you know that he shifts the game right like we should uh, talk
1: about the more popular one okay
0: <laughs> well it depends what what year it is is it uh, you know 1584 or 1984
1: is this a judge reinhold i see before me <laughs>
0: oh man judge reinhold would be great as rosencrantz or Guildenstern. he would like he's got that kind of like he is in
1: this movie like <laughs> actually this movie he's dog barrier verges right because <laughs> yeah, it is a right. fairly shakespearean movie right i think right I actually, when you get down to it what what are the Shakespearean things about beverly Hills cop right I think, th- I think there's an aspect of disguise, you know, mm-hmm.
0: I think there's an aspect of um almost kind of almost kind of magic, you know in terms of like his ability to kind of shape shift and transform um right. there's the big scene in the middle where a woman fs a donkey <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not. <laughs> no, but there is a strip show, right? Yeah, the, um, there, at the, you at have the, your exeons pursued by bear as at, the, were. at the donkey
0: bar. You know, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: but, but like, but yeah, so like, but Axel Foley also is constantly telling you about his state of mind, even as he disguises himself into different roles. Right? He's also like, usually he finds somebody in the movie to like rant at about like what's going on with him and yeah, how and he
0: feels. About him yeah exactly and his like his approach to everyone is is sort of disarmingly straightforward he he says to the bad guy rather than trying to like you know trick him somehow he says to the bad guy uh i'm from detroit and uh i know this guy who worked for you and stole from you and you killed him and he was a friend of mine and so i'm here to to mess you up you know that's like uh and he says that like in so many words that's that's his dialogue to to the guy and that is you know that is an interesting thing like one of the one of the Interesting things about Shakespeare's plays is that they're devoid of subtext, right? They're, they're, people say, uh, what they think. And like the, the kind of, the hard thing about acting them is you have to kind of unspool the thinking. If you think of, of like Brando, there's a lot of him like staring dreamily off into space. There's a lot of film of Brando like looking, uh, abstractly off into the middle distance, you know, and that, and then saying something. And that's not what, that's not what, uh, Shakespeare is about. And that's not what Axel Foley is about. And it's, I mean, It's interesting. It's interesting to me because a lot of the most dramatic parts right just running with this idea for a minute a lot of the most dramatic parts are him talking to somebody are like the the dynamics and the kind of the outcome the flow of a conversation rather right. than action per se and like at the at the end where there's a shootout it actually feels uh, not bolted on it, it's very earned you've you know you've come to care about the people and care about the outcome of this and you realize how it's come to this pass so it's it's not like it's bad storytelling it's just not um it's in a different register you know than than most of the whole um most of the whole rest of the movie where a little bit it's it's just like the the it's about like the micro interactions between uh between people it's about like the medium two shot where like you know you're gonna you're gonna square off with uh with words and it it makes eddie murphy sort of the perfect person to to do this you know like yeah. because there's no there's no like, uh, in life, there are a few greater pleasures than just watching Eddie Murphy talk, you know?
1: <laughs> I mean, he's really great at it.
0: <laughs> say,
1: but, yeah. I mean, you might also say, well, why is it that sometimes people have a problem with Eddie Murphy in his movies? You know, maybe maybe the catch is that Eddie Murphy is great at this style of acting where the characters don't really have a lot of interiority and have this very upfront, in-your-face relationship with the audience, where they're finding some audience proxy and they are just spinning spinning the words at them. Right. And, and that and that is maybe characteristic, particularly of, of early Eddie Murphy, but also a Shrek Eddie Murphy, where there's a very direct relationship between what Eddie Murphy is saying at any given time and what you're supposed to be taking from the movie at any given time I guess but but to go into it so okay so Detroit is this cipher it's this distant place it's this place that has its own people and its own culture and this guy has come out of that starts out in disguise we meet him in a false persona right. with a false voice right. and then moves on into other situations where I- invariably it seems he his first assumption is who do I need to be in order to get what I need out of this interaction? Sure. Right. And and they don't they don't know me. A lot of it is they don't know me because I'm probably the only black guy they ever talked to. So they all have their assumptions about who I am. And if I fulfill their assumption as to who I am, then they will and why I'm here, then they'll treat me in that way. Which is in turn, I think engage with a broader discussion of the different layers of norms and rules that are being navigated. But but when you said that stuff about mid, I'll, I'll here's one example, right, of that what you said, that sort of these sort of mid-level conversations where they're really talking about connections between characters and subtle negotiations of things in ways that you wouldn't expect juxtaposed against action sequences that are maybe not as as barn busting. Right. So the scene in the strip club, I think, is a great scene. Uh, not necessarily when they go to the strip club and they're like, hey, it's a strip club. Ah, uh, that's kind of dumb. But but the notion, right, is that Axel Foley and the, there's, so Axel Foley, for those of you, of course, who haven't seen it, though I, I recommend seeing it, um, has been assigned these two babysitters, these two cops who are a, uh, who are themselves kind of falsely known by their superiors. The superiors see them as this, you know, clean cut, and sort of blank-faced rookie and this garrulous but like ultimately loyal sergeant and who they really are are an aspiring cowboy and a grizzled uh you know crookbuster right mm. like in their hearts in their hearts they're a cowboy and 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 a warrior but to everybody else they're a rookie and a middle manager right and and part of the arc of this movie is Axel Foley negotiating with them to the point where he understands who they really are and and he does this out of self-interest because he wants to understand them so he can manipulate them into getting him what he wants but there's a mutual friendship there because as he discovers more about them he realizes that they want what he wants which is justice mm-hmm. right um and and especially justice for the murder of this friend of his and to do their jobs as police officers as they conceive of them abstractly as distinct from how they're regulated by the institutions that they work for um but but anyway so in order to kind of mess with them, Axel Foley leads them, brings them to a strip club, right? Which makes them very uncomfortable. They're not supposed to drink on duty. They're not supposed to be in a strip club. They're out of their jurisdiction. But Axel Foley has talked them into going to this place. I think by telling them that it's a very conservative bar, right, where they'll just sit down and and uh, and, and and talk for a little bit about what's going to happen with the case. And you have these two very obvious '80s criminals. They might have been 80s aliens, depending on the level of social <laughs> sex, because one of them does have a faux hawk of sorts, but they are uh, or like a mohawk mullet kind of messed up haircut. Uh, so they could have been aliens. They could have been uh, they could have been criminals. They're criminals. And they've come to rob the strip club. And and Axel Foley modulates the level of seriousness in their conversation on a dime, right? Eddie Murphy kind of turns the tone and is because he's talking to them, he's joking with them about what he knows about this drug case that they're trying to, to bust and what's really going on and what he's not telling his superiors and fooling with them and pushing their buttons. To he zeros in like a laser on Taggart the sergeant, right? And and starts mapping out the tactical situation in the room, right? As in like, these guys, hey, look at that guy. What do you think about him? Huh? he's wearing a long coat in the winter. Do you think that's normal, right? And he's leading Taggart to come to the conclusions that he wants Taggart to come to, which is that this place is about to be robbed, right? That there's a guy with a gun here. Or, you know, that they're they're there to follow them or something along those lines. So there's a threat, right? And And then when he sort of recognizes how Taggart responds to it, he says, you know, go over there and cover that guy. I'll take out the other guy. And, and their relationship makes such a leap in that moment, right? Mm. Because they go from being the buffoon babysitter and the sort of smart, wise guy trying to get out of supervision to brothers in arms, right, who are in a, in a combat unit, right? And, and it's all done because Axel Foley is so agile at understanding this is what this, this guy wants, right? This is the me that this guy wants to meet, Right. This is the person that this guy wants me to be in this situation. And I'm going to reveal to him that it's actually pretty authentic to who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he thinks I'm this jokey buffoon, but really, I'm a very serious, uh, you know, pursuer of justice. Right. And uh, and so I'm going to reveal this truth to him. And because I know that it's going to work with him, it's going to advance our relationship like instantly. And from that moment on in the rest of the movie, you know, Taggart is pretty much entirely loyal to uh well no he does he does write about that one last time but like from there on out we know things about taggart we didn't know before we know that he likes axel foley and he's probably going to end up being on his side right um yeah i mean it's just, there's so many little moments like that that really color the differences in the relationships Sorry, i, I could go on and on about each and every one but uh um i guess well, i'll say I mean, one, it's, it's like, interesting
0: like in this in sort of this part of the plot you know, where, where he's sort of arrived. This is like before he's even really done much investigating. He's just sort of arrived in Beverly Hills, gotten thrown through a window, gotten arrested. I mean, not much has happened. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, it ain't slow. That's for sure. He's, he's going to the, uh, you know, this is before the kind of the investigation of what was going on in earnest, um, starts and he's, right. uh, he's, You know, sort of feeling these guys out and they, they go back after this, this robbery is thwarted and they go back to the, you know, the Beverly Hills police department. Um, the two Beverly Hills detectives, you know, uh, are standing by while Eddie Murphy sort of spins a story that makes them look very good, you know, tells the story how it happens in the way that he knows. Um, you know, in, in the way that he knows the lieutenant is going to want to hear and that like, uh, uh, that they, they are sort of, they're kind of wet blankets, right? Like they don't, and they don't let him do it. They don't let him tell this story that, uh, that makes them look good, which is important because of the way that beat plays off, pays off in the, the very last moment of the, Uh, of the thing where the lieutenant turns around and does it to the, to the chief of police, Beverly Hills. Uh, that, you know, and sort of tells a completely BS story about, you know, what, what happened in the shootout. Um, that makes, uh, that sort of clears Axel of wrongdoing. My goodness, Pete, did you notice he's from Detroit, the motor city, and his (laughs) name is Axel? (laughs)
1: Did you notice that he's in a movie and his name is Foley? (laughs) Um, But I mean, I guess what what other example, which is much more minor, which I just loved, uh, which I guess is guess maybe I would suggest is a potential Downton Abbey moment for the movie Mm. is in his first it is first. Uh, liaison with the boss the evil boss of the movie right because like like a shakespearean character he walks up to the bad guy tells him exactly what he thinks and then is like banished right and then and then in the end of the movie he's like i'll go in disguise do you go to disguise do you
0: you bite your thumb at me sir
1: (laughs) goes in disguise tells the bad guy exactly what he thinks again and wins um but when he goes the first time he's stopped by the front desk receptionist who who asks him who he is right and he's like he's a, flo- a florist who's bringing flowers and that's why he's able to get into the guy's office and there's this moment where he's he's going up the stairs with the flowers and he's like you know flowers are my passion right you know, like this is giving flowers to people is my passion, right? Um, it's it's what it's you know, it's, it's like what I need to do and It's this idea that he's created this character who refuses to leave the flowers with the receptionist because he cares so much about being a florist that he has to give the flowers to the person themselves. Right. And he does it so convincingly. And there's this notion of petulant florists that exists somewhere, right, in this, in this Beverly Hills receptionist mind, right? I suppose this, this expectation that they might run into a very insistent florist, <laughs> right, uh, who is, like, very proud of their work, right? Um, and, and that's what gives him access to the bad guy. Uh, it's not like, oh, man, you know, I'm a tough-talking street cop, and I know all the ways to get past security. No, it's like I'm a chameleon. They don't know me. Right. I can be who they want me to be in order to get done what needs to get done. Right. Uh, which and it's and it's and it's wit and cleverness. Right. And smarts that does it. But yeah, it's as, not it's just like, that
0: it's it's sort of code switching. Right. Like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That they're they're it's. Yeah, it's funny. It's like he's a. there. There's something about like the I'm trying to find an opposition in Detroit and Beverly Hills that makes this, you know, that makes this make sense, but there, you know, the, the, there's a sense in which Detroit is real and Beverly Hills is fake, right? Um, yeah. the, all the, the, um, shots of Detroit, the establishing shots have a couple of things about them. They're, they're sort of documentary style in that they're very like still camera. They're like these anthropological shots, you know? Right. Um, and, but they, they all have people in them you know they all have have folks living in in the landscape whether it's you know a bunch of children hanging out unsupervised <laughs> on the sidewalk or like a family you know hanging together and like barbecuing outside or something like that or you know people walking out of the gaiety bar um there there's like an interaction between the people in the landscape the all this stuff in Beverly Hills, all the establishing shots of Beverly Hills when he sort of drives in. And that's actually, that is perhaps the most remarkable, completely unremarked thing about this movie. He drives from Detroit <laughs> to Beverly Hills. on
1: vacation. It's like
0: two, exactly. It's like two days if you drive 16 hours a day. That's, yeah. you know, um, and that's like he's got no one to talk to, you know? Can you imagine just uh, Axel just driving for two days straight? That's um, I don't know. It's a little rough. I,
1: I'm sure his tape deck would be killing it. The movie <laughs> yeah. and the, the music is so good. But well, yeah, I mean,
0: is that, uh, given how old the the car is, it's
1: probably an eight track. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the yeah uh, you know sorry i'm sorry go ahead i mean I, I had something to build on but you go ahead you but finish the, your thought. The,
0: when when he gets there and he does all the establishing shots of beverly hills the way it's shot is it's this sort of it's this assemblage of of brand names you know like uh uh fendi di roma you know and like uh, rodeo drive and all the all the stuff and there isn't really a sense of of uh the the people who who inhabit these spaces it's almost more like a kind of fanciness a kind of notional fanciness that's that's projected all around and even when it is people it's like you know the 80s rocker looking guy in the like the leopard suit and the you know the big the big rock and roll hair you know bleach blonde and stuff who we only see from behind um and like all you know all of this stuff it's their sort of it's their unreality it's their kind of exoticism that that makes them you know that makes them um uh stand out and, and, and be sort of uh interesting to interesting to photograph first thing the lieutenant says is here in Beverly Hills we do things by the book you know um yep. And, uh, I believe that's something Juliet says as well. Doesn't she say you kiss by the book to, uh, (laughs) to Romeo? (laughs) But the, uh, uh, we do things by the book, which is kind of interesting. It's like we do things in accordance with the rules and norms. You know, we do things sort of by the abstract idea rather than kind of by the, the actual, you know, corporeal, Reality or, you know, uh, and, and like at the end, it's a big moment for that lieutenant when he says, forget what you can prove. Just, just tell me what your gut says, you know, because yeah, yeah. he's, he's sort of saying he's like opting for a less book based and a more reality based, a more kind of sensory, um, You know, uh, approach to things and, and because, right, because it's all fake, he can be like any Murphy can be the master of all, of all situations, right? Like you can sort of say, uh, a lot about sort of being a minority and code switching and like code switching is sort of one of the things but it's also uh, there's a kind of he he's he's uh, um, to quote it to quote another great 80s movie you're not thinking fourth dimensionally you know And he's <laughs> yeah. thinking he has an an additional dimension when he looks at social interactions which is that he sees kind of the constructedness of all of the norms and that you can kind of slip in subvert shift manipulate uh all of these things if you're willing to not be by the book you know um or if you're willing to you know uh take one book out of the other person's hands and put another book uh in the the in the person's hands and this this is done he does this in the club with the the mirgi Right when he he thinks the the major D thinks he's doing a a scene that's called you know throw the throw the riffraff in a sweatshirt who happens to be black right like throw the throw the black guy who doesn't belong here out of this fancy club full of white people. Right. right. And, uh, and Eddie Murphy sort of shifts it. Right? right. So that, uh, oh no, you're not actually in that scene. You're in a scene that's called expose your uncomfortability with homosexuals, yes, right. Yes. In order to, uh, get you to, uh, get you to sort of, or, uh,
1: or, to back down or, or more specifically protect the secret sexual affairs of the people who are at your club. Yeah. Right. Which is something, because I think there's a couple ways to look at this in terms of the relationship between – well, the, the way the code switching works with regards to people's perceptions of their own reality. I think that in certain situations it works in certain ways, in certain situations it works in the other ways. But a lot of the situations, even the people involved know that their norms that they're appealing to are inauthentic, right? And and they have an authentic norm. Well, I guess – I mean the, norm, the term I would use is what? Like uh, – descriptive and uh oh gosh i keep i keep forgetting what no it's descriptive norms and um injunctive norms is is the dichotomy which is the thing the injunctive norm is the thing we all agree is right right and the descriptive norm is the thing we all agree is happening everybody does see what is going on right so it's like you know, the, the descriptive norm for the country club is that no riffraff gets into the country club, right? The injunctive norm for the country club is when the people having affairs with the members show up, like handle it discreetly and try not to get involved personally, right? Like, because they do show up because he's not shocked by like the situation as much as he just doesn't want to be part of it. Um, But I mean, I guess, I guess here's, here's an example. I think another, another sort of uh Example that that speaks to through opposition, this dichotomy, because I love I want Bronson Pinchot is in this movie, right? Sure. As as Serge. The uh, European art dealer, right, or the art the art gallery? Yeah. No. Is he uh, is he
0: is he swishy or is he just European? Because Eddie Murphy gets super swishy in his gay caricature, right? And yes. uh, and that's you know, and I I honestly Pete, like I was I was watching that like uh, about to about to be ready to have my like right thinking twenty first century values challenged and being like, oh god, don't say AIDS, don't say AIDS, don't say AIDS, and he says hepatitis, but everyone you know, but everyone's hepatitis thinking simple. T- 10, right, That's what he says. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, you know, but of course, uh, everybody, uh, everybody was thinking AIDS, probably, like at yeah. the, well, eighty four. Yeah, I mean, I guess everyone was thinking AIDS and that, like, how that happens is, uh, yeah, you know, it's an interesting kind of, it's an interesting kind of displacement. But the other, yeah, you're about, sorry, you're about to talk about the other kind of, um, I don't even know what to call him. He's very Euro. I'm not, I, you know, yeah. I guess he's a little effete, but I don't know if that is secondary to, to his Euroness or secondary to his putative
1: homosexuality. Right. Well, I think it's, I think it's supposed to be somewhat ambiguous right and, and i think i don't i mean i think that bronson Pinchot will probably work this into the character i don't know how much of it is written it doesn't really matter but we meet him twice right the first time he offers he very effusively offers eddie murphy treats right he's like oh you can have an espresso with a lemon twist is what he offers him right i'll make mm-hmm. an espresso in the back and you can have a lemon twist um of course if you've been to europe you would realize that like you know getting a coffee somewhere and having the person who works there be nice to you is like what happens in in a lot of places <laughs> right like like particularly with with french people at least to my experience it's like if you're not nice to them then it's extremely rude right like it's expected that you exchange hellos and niceties with people right um and so like he's doing his job as being a store clerk by saying like oh welcome how are you oh it's so great to see you you know oh if you're here to look around i can go make you and you know bring you a coffee um and 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 so but it's not clear from how he says it, whether he's hitting on Eddie Murphy or not. Right. right, right. It's like I could go in the back and get you a lemon twist. Uh-huh. Right. And it's like, what's this? Who is this guy? What does this mean? And that's just sort of discarded as Eddie Murphy goes back and talks to his friend. Right. But then we see him a second time at the end of the movie. And there's this great moment where Judge Reinhold is there. Right. As the rookie cop. And and uh, and Serge says to him, oh, you know, would you like an espresso with a lemon twist? And he's like. Oh, you know, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, and he says, Don't be stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, just with just with contempt, right? He's like, Oh my god. Right? Like, you know, and and what that says to me is and he and he immediately breaks in an espresso with a lemon twist, which says to me that like A he really likes the espresso with the lemon twist. Like it's about the espresso with the lemon twist. It's real, right? It's not a euphemism, right? Like it's a thing that is in the back, right? And it's something that you probably can't get in Beverly Hills in 1984 very much, right? Like, um, uh, and, and, and he's offering it as an act of hospitality and the guy being like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh man, if it's not too much trouble and he, he's basically like cut your BS, right? Yeah. Don't, be, don't, don't BS me. Right. um, which is interesting because he comes off initially as the biggest BS character in the whole movie, sure. right? It's like he is and, – and in the future, Beverly Hills Cop sequels, he will transmogrify into a tremendous amount of BS. I, I don't even want to go into those without watching them again, but my vague memory is that his character is like blown out to be totally absurd when he comes back. I think at one point he's like Q – he has gadgets or something. I don't even know. <laughs> I try to vaguely remember Beverly Hills Cop three. It's been a long time. Yeah, you know, Bronson uh, Bronson Pinchot
0: got got famous also in the meantime, right on his sitcom. Yes, you true. know, so they uh, give a bigger
1: part. And, yeah, you know, exactly, and kind more of more of a broad comic vibe. Um, yeah, because he's sorry, great. Yeah. He's great at that. You know that yeah, that yeah. foreigner character. But I think the point is that uh, he's just offering coffee. And, and and so it's weird because everybody else has some sort of like secret double agenda, right? Like, oh, I'm saying this one thing, but I'm thinking another thing. Uh, one of my favorite examples of that is when the police chief comes in and is like, is this the person who, you know, got arrested for getting thrown, you know, for, for you know, public disturbing the peace. And he lists all the things he did. And he ends with, is this the guy who just who wrecked the buffet at the <laughs> country club? And it's like so obvious that a member of the country club called this guy yeah. and was like, this person was in there and they just ruined the buffet Get them out of town, right? Like, and, and that's and that's what the person is there to do, right? The reality, where is,
0: it, is in, in in point of fact, it's Mike Erman who ruined the the yeah. the buffet. Just yes. just saying,
1: right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, not Mike only Ermentrout never gets enough credit; it always goes to the main <laughs> character. <laughs> um, oh man! By which we're joking, of course, that the main henchman in this movie is a younger version of a main the main henchman in Breaking Bad. Uh, who is uh, uh, quite a character in, on his own, uh, taking a long break from being the most popular thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, but just this notion that, like, I think Serge is, I think Serge is just offering coffee. And I think that he might be gay, he might not be, but he's not swishy, right? I think he's he's just, he's just, you know, cosmopolitan and European, right? Um, in the sense that he's not affecting his accent or his mannerisms or his fondness for espresso with lemon twists. Like that's who he is. Right. And, and him being at the art gallery is where he belongs and anybody who sort of, hesitates in dealing with him on that level he finds just intolerable (laughs) like uh and so and again but it could have been so much worse right there could have been there's a lot of jokes about this sort of thing in this movie and yeah it's dated and it's retrograde and it's depicting a culture that's retrograde but i was ready for it to be a lot worse than it is sure Um, that's for sure that's for sure
0: it it is funny it's sort
1: of it's sort of humane in in that way um If, if if serge is gay it is not important because the scene is about espresso. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the only thing about his personality that exists. Thank you very much. Right. Leave my art gallery. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the,
0: one of the things I think that the relationship of this movie to, to action is an interesting thing. Um, we never see any crime being committed, right? <laughs> we see like the, the aftermath of the crime. You know, I guess yeah. that there's a there's a box full of drugs. You know, but the right. the kind of like you're, the, you're
1: you're excluding, of course, the initial scene in the movie. Which oh is yeah, like sure, a I situation. I guess, but you should because that's not really part of the main action.
0: No, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. but it well, it is interesting and like what it, but that belongs to the you know that belongs to the anthropological kind of gritty. um Gritty, uh, realness of the, of the movie. Sorry, it just, something else occurred to me, just along the lines of what you're saying. Did you clock how many times male characters in the movie say to each other, I love you? Like in a, in the sense of like, I, in the sense of, I love you, man, like not, I romantically love you, but that they, they express their affection and their kind of like deep bonds of, of kind of friendship, camaraderie, affection, you know, what have you, uh, with the words, I love you, um, without it, you know, without getting all gay panicky, you know, without like, uh, and that like, it is, it, It is interesting because you think of the, the, you know, kind of social norms of the time. You think of the kind of the homophobia of the time. You know, you think of the, the Reagan era and AIDS, um, and the kind of the vilification of gay people and stuff like that. And, and yet there is this kind of homo social vocabulary, uh, right? That I, I actually don't remember. From my own childhood in in the eighties, like <laughs> yeah. that, the late the must must have burned out by the late eighties or something, or everyone got too scared of of gay people, right? Like to uh, by everyone, I mean the you know the mainstream culture, um, like uh the the squares got all too scared of gay people, and that that they sort of their their discourse about their own affection for one another became impoverished yeah. by this hysterical fear, this you know ridiculous fear of of gay people, whereas in 1984 you could kind of say you know the as as his friend does to him before he gets murdered you know uh why why didn't I rat you out even though we were you know even though we were uh kids stealing cars together and I got caught and you didn't why didn't I rat you out because I love you you know because because I would I wouldn't do that you were like my you were like my my friend you were my brother you were my you know you were like family and I wouldn't do that to family like and that's yeah. that is uh that is sort of Sort of interesting. The other interesting thing to me about, about that, um, scene was like how it's just sort of acknowledged that like, well, this guy got caught and so he, uh, you know, became kind of in the, like the, the um, incarcerated in the carceral, that's the, the adjective, right. System, you know, yeah. he, he got sort of shuttled off into the, the prison system and, you know, recidivism and, and all this stuff. And because he didn't get caught, uh, Axel became uh, a cop and they are, but they're from the same streets and they're kind of cut from the same cloth Uh, in a way that, that kind of like that sort of keeping it real, that like reality based, uh, community was an interesting sort of anthropological, um, interesting sort of anthropological thing. Uh, and, and also very Shakespearean in terms of kind of luck being destiny. Oh, also very Shakespearean is the, is the, the chief of police listing out all of the things um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because at the, yeah, people, people recap the plot all the time in Shakespeare in case you like left the auditorium to go like, I don't know, eat food or like, um, visit a prostitute or something outside the theater, you, you would come in and like, uh, they would catch you up like previously, you know, previously on, uh, on uh, <laughs> Henry the 19th part 24, uh, they would do, uh, you know, big speeches. Is, the, is this not the same? Is he, is it not he <laughs>
1: who, <laughs> who, who, who wrecketh the buffet? um <laughs> uh sorry all the all give, the give you me a shrimp salad sandwich whilst thrust thine banana to my tailpipe <laughs> this false gift lay with my stillness in that midstreet with cars akimbo unable to follow uh i yet i yet but sir tw- this was the sandwich not delicious <laughs> like was the shrimp not fresh right like um, you know, I take, I take the, sa- I take the sandwich of friendship, even amid the road of opposition. Right? <laughs> and, and it's like, and there's this like discussion of the symbolism of the shrimp sandwich, right? <laughs> Where like the one cop is offended that he's been tricked and the other cop appreciates the sincere gesture of a free line, a free dinner, sure. right? A Late supper.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, um, yeah, I have, have not a sandwich mayonnaise, have, to, have not a sandwich pickle relish, have not a sandwich shrimp salad.
1: I would not – I mean this is a guess, but I wouldn't necessarily attribute the non-toxic emotional honesty between men in this movie to 1984 uh, just because I don't remember it from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, Maybe it's there, and I would instead attribute it to – This movie and to you know maybe potentially to the performance i don't know uh it's an interest it's interesting i would i would contribute to axel foley being a more interesting character than you would assume he is based merely off of a dim memory of him running down a street with a gun and a letter jacket right right like uh like yeah no letter
0: no letter jacket in this one just uh and uh, let me tell you he wears the hell out of that gray that kind of gray cutoff sweatshirt that that he's got on (laughs) It's just yeah, and then, that's a real data evening look. That's from the from the country <laughs> club to the to the <laughs> yes. yeah. that will do, donkey. Well,
1: <laughs> so if if Axel Foley, Axel Foley has a tragic flaw, I think, right? And Axel Foley's tragic flaw is that he does not trust people he perceives as incompetent, huh. right? And I think that that may be part of why this feels like a grand drama or comedy to a degree is that the inciting incident that drives Axel Foley to Beverly Hills is – his boss assigning the case of his friend being murdered at his apartment, right, not to him, but not just not to him, but to I think Paul Reiser, right, right. who he believes is incompetent. Right. And he he can't his sense of justice cannot tolerate his friend's murder being assigned to an incompetent officer, right? And so he then takes his vacation, which would make sense, right? It would make sense for him to go on leave, but he takes his vacation for the purpose of investigating the murder. And there's a number of times this comes up, right? He, he doesn't tell the lieutenant about the drug shipment, even though it might have gotten them to a better plan faster, because he does not believe that the lieutenant is in a position to be competent at executing on the information. And so he ends up having to do it himself, which puts him at risk, right, and uh, and puts a lot of other people at risk, too. And so uh, in terms of him being a, a Shakespearean or, or comma tragic char- tragic comic character, It's interesting that on one hand, it's not like I'm from the mean streets. Again, it's not that I'm too tough or I or I or I disguise myself so much that I don't really know who I am. No, it's none of those things. Right. It's that it's that I only trust the people who really earn my trust. And and that, I think, is also part of the racial narrative here, because why would he expect anybody in Beverly Hills to treat him with the kind of respect that would warrant trust? Right. Right. Um, And in fact, why in Detroit would he feel that way either based on what we know about his experiences in Detroit? He his relationships are earned. You might even say that he comes from more of an honor culture than a dignity culture, perhaps, right? like uh, that that Axel Foley trusts people who, through their words and actions, abide by what he sees as the moral law right, and the law of reputation to the extent that he then cares who they are and cares what happens to them mm. in a, in a positive way. And which is why, these are- which, by
0: the way, is why he's still friends with his you know with his convict uh, guy that he grew up with. Yeah. Right. Or or why it's still, you know, the art dealer woman, you know, from the old neighborhood or whatever. And exactly what neighborhood that is, where all of these three people where the, uh, you know, the um, the guy out of the Italian mobster film, you know, uh, Axel Foley and uh, the blonde woman majoring in art history. Right. Where they all grew up together. Like, I want to see this magical neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, in Detroit in, in the 70s.
1: I mean it would've I guess yeah, I guess they're all pretty young, right? It wouldn't have been the sixties. Well, they would have been kids in the sixties. And then they would have been because I guess what how old is how old is Eddie Murphy when he makes this movie? Is it like good question. twenty-four,
0: twenty-three, or yeah, something like that? Because he's
1: he was so young on Saturday Night Live. Yes. Right. It was crazy. It was crazy yeah, how he, young Eddie Murphy was. He blew was up when, he was, when he, was like he was like
0: eighteen, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, now he's only now he's only fifty-nine, yeah. right? Um, which is like, you know, it's it's uh Tom Cruise is like older than Eddie Murphy. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I think right. Um, not Tim Cruise, Wikipedia. Tom Cruise. There's no. <laughs> Tim. Um, but I, I want to no, talk no, about Eddie Murphy is a year older than Tom. Oh, Murphy. there you go. Because Tom Cruise also broke through when he was very young. They both because he had risky business and he was like a child. Yep. Right. Like not really, but like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's crazy. Anyway, sorry, sorry. There's so much more. We kind of went, yeah,
0: exactly. And we're kind of we're we're circling the 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 end of the podcast here. But the the um, you know, the the action of this movie. You never see a crime committed, and and that that sort of is a signal to me that that's actually not the like the the dynamics of uh law enforcement or the kind of the the dynamism of that is is not the dynamism that um the film is really interested in it's it's interested in these kind of character moments it's and it's interested in the kind of like eddie murphy eddie murphy real hard um that you know is kind of like so charming and pleasurable to to watch to enjoy and that like um you know so that like even the Yeah. You know, even exactly what the crime is like, he's smuggling some stuff under the guise of being an art dealer. It's not the, the details of it aren't important. The criminal is underdeveloped. And this is not this is like changed. Uh, uh sorry this these i wouldn't even call them defects because it's such a good movie like th- this emphasis i I'll, I'll say is different uh if i recall in the subsequent films mm-hmm. um uh, one of which I- involves a like a leggy blonde assassin if i'm not if if memory serves correctly and the the other of which takes place at a theme park um again <laughs> if memory serves but the uh you know but this one is is really interested in these kind of like in the social dynamics and in like what uh you know what it sort of means to be uh to be among the the fake people in beverly beverly hills yeah
1: yeah i, I almost if I were to retitle the movie, I would call it Beverly Hills rules, <laughs> right? Cause it's, it's about the different rules that everybody lives by. And, uh, and, and Axel Foley is the outsider who's able to come in and expose their, their rules for what they are and by recontextualizing them, um, certainly i like when he invokes michael jackson in order to achieve clout to get a hotel reservation Uh right this idea that like you don't care about being racist against me but you care about being racist against michael jackson that's his like fine understanding of the dynamics of the situation
0: yeah um the one thing i wish is that at the end when the hotel tab was paid that it had been some kind of elaborate con you know what i mean that that like something other than the cops coming up and saying hey uh you know the police department will will take care of it just in a straightforward way, right? I wish he had, I wish it had offered like a kind of coda, like one more opportunity, uh, for Axel to sort of show his, um, you know, kind of, uh, bravura, uh you know mastery of of all of all social situations, right right some way to
1: talk himself into a free hotel room right other than just the gratitude of his allies I don't know uh, Pete, other than that, that, uh, stealing that, that, the stealing the ropes
0: yeah exactly <laughs> that that hotel room, Pete, was like two hundred thirty dollars a night. Right. Can you believe that? It's <laughs> oh my god things cost so much money in beverly hills i guess it was 1984 i wonder what that i wonder what
1: that that
0: is i can ask uh you it would know, 34 ask, right
1: yeah uh, something it, would, like that. it would be worth it's 592 dollars by the cpi
0: oh uh oh that's interesting so it's it's about what a motel six costs now these days
1: <laughs> six hundred dollars <laughs> because they only have one room and it's constantly being sprayed with Purell. Right. That's why it costs that much. It's just all Purell all the time. Um But the um yeah. the one action sequence
0: that really did uh uh hit different as I guess the kids say. Um though I I'm probably misusing that. Um let me uh let me eat that word right into the trash. <laughs> but the um the, the the one sequence that that uh really caught me was the truck chase at the beginning.
1: Yes. 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 The real the crimes happened in Detroit. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. Where, where after like, you know, being undercover and busting, uh, or at least trying to bust some sort of criminal enterprise selling, uh, uh, smuggled cigarettes, stolen cigarettes. Right. That like, um, uh, or I guess the real crime was tax evasion because they had no, they he had forged tax certificates on all of the, uh, on all of the, the packs of cigarettes that like in that, that truck chase, um, real eighties, seventies and eighties cars getting smashed up and like the, the truck jackknifing through the, you know, swerving and jackknifing through the streets. Um, the, the, the carnage down a residential street, just one, not carnage, right? that well, car nedge. <laughs> um, the, the uh uh done thing it i I don't know there was something something about it where the kind of the reality of having to do that all practical like and not you know having c g i cars or whatever like the the much smaller scope of the car the carnage had much greater effect. On me, um, then, you know, then a late, uh, f- or, or a more recent, like Fast and the Furious movie where all the, the cars getting wrecked and smashed up are, are CGI. Um, doesn't, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, I, w- I was really impressed by how, uh, how real it seemed and just how, how the stakes, um, seemed to, uh be smaller and bigger at the same time somehow, and yeah. that's true of the movie as well like there was no i i was i kept waiting like when does the portal open up and and the universe uh start to come to an end and there was there was no there was no portal and there was no uh you know world ending villain and yet somehow I cared more about this character and what became of him uh than I did of uh out of all our favorite c g i punchers <laughs>
1: Well, that's fair that's fair yeah we're gonna watch axel foley vision next which will be the uh, disney plus series about axel foley's constructed reality and his anxieties about um leaving detroit and not not going back to it i suppose yeah. uh <laughs> but yeah i mean and also that music right i do i do have to say one thing as i know as, as the clock is ticking down but the soundtrack to this movie is amazing uh right it's um it's really wonderful it's, It's really wonderful. And the songs are great. Obviously, you know, Axel F, the uh, the song in uh, the sort of Axel Foley action synth music is one of the few one of the top uh, popular uh, electronic instrumental singles ever to come out. Right. In terms of its popularity and impact. Um, But I will say that for a long time, I had a, a, a playlist that i had uh that i played fairly regularly called excellent songs for all purposes and for a long time it had only one song on it which was the heat is on by glenn fry from the beverly <laughs> hills top soundtrack <laughs> um which is uh oh is it even not even yeah it is from the soundtrack yeah it's like the neutron dance is on here right like oh man it's so good
0: um oh you're talking about the you're talking about the the okay the soundtrack yeah i mean the score is yeah the scoring
1: and the soundtrack this movie are both great
0: yeah the Um, well the score the kind of the electronic music it's so interesting the kind of like the the atmospheric stuff that it does because like as they're you know as they're mounting the final assault on the bad guy's compound in which is i guess like a nice house and on a bit of land in beverly hills like the the um it's this, like, electronic kind of marimba-sounding, like, you know, uh, uh, Caribbean dance. Like, it seems like what should play over the ad for a cruise line or something like that. <laughs> with the, um And it's not, like it it's not the duh, 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 you know the the like the the low dark strings duh, 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 kind of agitato stuff and it's not the you know it's not it's not concerned with building tension you know to to unbearable levels it's concerned with um even know i don't even know how to describe it i think the it's, energy of yeah, the fact exactly. that
1: you're near the climax of the movie right yeah right, it's like, concerned with yeah. sort
0: of amping you up with like keeping the party going in a you know yeah. in a, a certain sense you know um, yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: uh that okay that you brought up the the uh axel foley music da, 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 da. um that uh which is not even his action theme really I, it becomes it later i think in in subsequent films when they realize what a what a banger it is but the it is the um kind of his character theme you know it's his kind of yeah. leitmotif and it's the like the Axel Foley chillin Uh, chillin' music. I think, you know, this is stretching it way too far. Sorry, but you, you open Pandora's uh, music box here. Uh, this is stretching, uh, it way too far, but the whole thing is in minor pentatonic is in kind of a bluesy sort of scale, uh, minor pentatonic, except for one note. And I think that one note is important because that's the axle note. That's the like, the little twist that like subverts expectations and kind of makes you realize you're in a different thing. You're in a, a slightly more sophisticated, um drama than than you thought that that you were in so da da all that is minor pentatonic it's just blues you know guitar blues scale and that that da the flat 6 scale degree not in the minor pentatonic scale it's in a regular minor scale um but it's not it's it's the only appearance of a non minor pentatonic note in that, that whole thing. And, uh, that kind of like, and it decorates the, the note that it appears right, right before. And, it, uh, I, I just, I wonder if there's something to that about how that, like, it's, it is what you think, uh, but it's also a little bit more you know which is which uh, like as you said before is a good little mission statement for our uh for our look at these uh these HBO Max classic classic films of the 80s and 90s you know
1: yeah for sure for sure like they, they're surprised. they continue to surprise us i would say um definitely uh, well, i guess sad. when he's like oh have you ever driven a mercedes before and it's like oh man who it's i <laughs> 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 not watched Beverly Hills Cop 1 in a long time <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: Uh, all right, let's leave it there. Thank you very much for listening, Pete. Thank you for uh, for chatting with me. Uh, this was uh, a lot of fun. So uh, go, uh, you know, in, in case you didn't like put the podcast in pause, go watch Axel Foley. Go watch uh, Beverly Hills Cop. It was uh, a lot of fun. Um, we're going to be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably... probably-
1: doesn't doesn't deserve deserve. you know matt i did eventually add a second song to that playlist oh what uh, is it good for all occasions uh, excellent songs for all purposes, that's what it's called. Oh got it. Okay, what what was it? Uh Shakedown for Beverly Hills Cop Two. Shakedown, <laughs> <laughs> break down, take down, everybody fucking get the crowd alive. Are wait, are
0: are they songs excellent for all purposes, or are they excellent songs which are also for all purposes?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, 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 uh.